Good morning. All right, how many of you have ever bought something that you were sorry you bought and didn't know what you were going to do with it? Anybody? That was my life this week. So at Christmas time, our kids were here and our grandkids were here, and we have this new couch, and we don't let anybody eat on it, and it's like, you know, it's like the palace couch. I mean, you just it's for looks. It screams, do not set on me. It really does. So my son Josh says, you know, you need a blue-collar couch. That's what he said. You need a blue-collar couch. I said, all right. So, you know, we decided to take a back bedroom and turn it into like a little mini family room, right? Good idea? Great idea. Okay. So we go out and we find the most amazing couch we've ever seen. I measure... I know it'll fit in the room. It's going to be amazing. We spent way too much money for this couch. Seriously, right? So then I get home, and I realize it won't fit through the door. So now they're going to come and deliver it, but now I have to, it's on the ground floor. Good good news, right? I have to take the entire window out and put it through the window. We get it in the room there's no room to even walk in the room now. The couch is too big. So we think, oh, well, you know what? Just we, we bought it. We'll live with it. So then we decide, let's just, there's a TV in there. So we, let's just lay down on the couch, watch some TV. It's the most uncomfortable couch I've ever been on in my entire life. Now I've got a couch that's too big, that's uncomfortable, that I paid too much money for, that I had to get through the window. And we look at each other, and she says, it's not real comfortable. And I'm, I don't want to say it. You know, you never, if you're the guy you never want to be the first one out with it's not comfortable, right? And I'm thinking, this is not a little uncomfortable. This is horrible. This is, this is punishment. And then I go look at the receipt. All sales final. But they've never met my wife. We had a joke growing up that she could take back the wrapper of a loaf of bread and get a full refund. All right, so next thing I know, I get a call from her, said, yeah, it's good, they're going to credit it, we're going to go back, we're going to find something else. So, you know, the guys worked so hard to get it in through the window that I gave them a big tip. I gave them 20 bucks each. That's a big tip. You look at me like it's not. Is that a big tip or not? That's a big tip, right? Now i got to tip them again. They, gotta, they ain't getting 20 this time. Ain't no way. You're getting 10. I'm done. I'm cutting you off. So we get the new couch, we put it in there, we get it all set up, we saved all this money, it went back, and we laid down last night on this cheap old couch, and it was so comfortable. Some battles you get yourself in, you did it yourself. It wasn't the devil. It was you. It just you. We were just double dumb shopping. And had to pay the consequence. And see, sometimes when you're out there shopping for whatever you're shopping for, you get the wrong thing. And then you wonder, how did I get this? And it was so hard to get it in your life, but now you've got to get it out your life, and it costs money to get it in, it costs money to get it out. So I want to talk to you today about the battles you face. And I, in the first service, well, as I was, the music was going on, I wrote this, and then I got up to, to say it, and I had accidentally deleted it, but I was able to recover it. I want to just read this to you, because this is what, how I wanted to start this message um, earlier. Your battle will always be in the valley. The enemy challenge you, challenges you to a battle that you think you can't win. Foolishly, he intimidates you and threatens you and distracts you. 
Like a fool who repeats his folly, the enemy falls into the same trap every time. Then the Lord utters his voice, shakes the kingdoms of the world. The impossible becomes possible. The battle was never yours. It was always the Lord's. Your victory is not coming. It is here. It is 2,000 years old. This is a valley. Look like a valley. Every battle you face is going to be in the valley. You're always going to have the enemy surrounding you, looking down on you, intimidating you, challenging you on every front. But I want you to remember something really, really powerful. And these three just points to kind of get your mind thinking. Um, When we speak of Jesus, when we speak of Almighty God, his enemy is your enemy. There's not a different enemy. His enemy is your enemy. His battle is your battle. The battle he fought is the battle you're going to be in, and his victory is your victory. You see, whenever you enter into the battle and you're going against the enemy, you've got to remember it's not just about the battle. It's about the victory. And the victory's already yours. It was done 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. Why do you keep battling? My brother Michael Ketter back there, he called me this week. He says, Pastor, sorry, brother, i got to use you as an example. Pastor, I'm under so much spiritual attack, and I just need you to pray for me. And uh, I, think I, I don't think I gave you what you're expecting, Michael. I said, well, Michael, you still got the Holy Spirit? He goes, yeah. Still got the mind of Christ available to you? Yeah. Still got your Bible? Yeah. Well, why are you calling me? Hey, I want you to stop and think about that because you have all the resources you need, right? We just don't use the resources we have. If we use what we have, we're going to win battles. Now you say, well, what if I lose a couple? Okay, get back up and keep running. That's all right. You might get knocked down, but don't stay down. You've got a comeback coming in your life. If you've been knocked down, just get ready. God is getting ready to do something. I want to give you a couple of thoughts. Here's another one. To get out from underneath the threat of the enemy, change what you are magnifying. What are you magnifying in your life that's a problem, that's a challenge, that's a difficulty? You see, when you magnify it, it becomes bigger, doesn't it? And it gets bigger, you're more intimidated. It just gets bigger, you get more intimidated. Here's another thought. Giants grow bigger over time like goldfish. They grow to the size of the container. The giants in your life are only giants because you gave them a big container to grow in. If you will lessen the size of the container, your giants will get smaller. What we do is we just, I hear people all the time, I don't know what I'm going to do. That phrase ought to be banned from Christianity. You've already got all the answers what to do. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. I don't know if I'm going to get through this one. Think about all the comments we make that are just absolutely not the cry of victory, but the the cry of despair and defeat and discouragement. And then typically what we do is we call everyone we know who's not any more effective in getting through the battle than we are, and we tell them what we're going to do, and they go, yeah, me too. I don't know what we're going to do. And then finally, when you run out of bad advice, you go to the Lord, and he goes, I got this. I got this. Let me take this for you. 
We're going to talk about David and Goliath. I'm going to, I love this story. And I want you to know the Bible is written on, on really two levels. One level is what I call the obvious level. You read the story, David and Goliath, underdog guy, I get it. You know, he killed this big giant. You know, it's a basic story, right? So it's written on the obvious, but it's also written on the not-so-obvious level. In other words, there's some depth within Scripture that if you're patient and you're looking for it, you'll see some things you haven't seen before. And hopefully we're going to bring that out. We're going to bring some applications to it so that you can see some things you haven't seen before so you can have some victories you haven't had before. Amen? So let me tell the story, kind of set it up. So David is one of eight children. He's the youngest son uh, in his household, and he is the one that is really kind of looked down on by the brothers. And there's a battle going on in a valley. Say in a valley. In a valley, there's a battle going on. It's been going on for 40 days. And in this valley, there is on this side the Philistines, and on this side there's the nation of Israel. And there's one man, a giant, a colossal of a man. His name is Goliath. He's about 10 feet tall. The average Israeli in that time period is, is, was said to be about 5 foot 2. Now, you can imagine that you're five foot two and you're going to do battle with a 10-foot person. So Goliath is out there and he's screaming from the hillside over here, from this side of the mountain, send me a man that we may do battle. Now, this was a battle strategy in that day. What they would do is the two chieftains would come down and they would fight, and whoever won would get the other's army. So it was a way to build your army. If you had a really powerful chieftain, then you could build an army. You could double your army every time you did it. So they had a 10-foot-tall chief. And now, and now Saul, he comes down, and, and he says to, uh, uh, to Saul and all of them, he said, send me a man that we might do battle. And for 40 days, they're intimidated. They don't want to do battle. 40 in the Bible is a number of testing. Remember, it was 40 days that the floodwaters came, that it rained on in Noah's day. It was 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus was fasting and then tempted by the devil. So 40 is a number of testing. So for 40 days, Goliath comes down, and he says, send me a man. And Israel ran up the hill. And all of a sudden, David shows up. And he shows up just to bring some provisions to the army, and his brothers kind of make fun of him. Why are you here? You need to go back and watch your sheep. And he's watching the battle, and all of a sudden, in that moment, Goliath comes down, and he screams out, send me a man, and I will destroy him. And then David, he can't take anymore. He says, who is this Philistine dog that challenges the armies of the Most High God? And they're all looking around like, what? Say, what? Who are you? He said, well, this is no problem. He said, when I'm watching my father's sheep, sometimes a lion or a bear comes, and I chase it down, and I kill it, and then I take the lamb home. I'll fight him. He's the only guy who wanted to fight him. They said David was probably 13 to 15 years of age at this time. He says, I'll fight him. Well, now they just want anybody to go fight him at this point because nobody wants to fight him. So they bring him in, and they put Saul's armor on him. And as he puts the armor on him, he goes out to do battle, but it's so heavy he can't hardly walk. He's just walking around like this. And he says, I can't wear this. It's not proven. It's not tested. You see, here's the principle. When you try to fight in someone else's armor, you lose. You have to fight in your armor. It has to fit you well. Your gifts, your talents, your skills, your knowledge, it has to all be poured into that situation. That's why getting advice from somebody is not always the best advice. 
It's like going to a restaurant and you say to the waiter or waitress, what do you like? That's the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. What makes you think that I, she has the same taste as I have? She said, and they always say the same thing, I like the fish. I hate fish. Why would I ask anybody? I like the fish. Oh, I don't like, I don't like fish. Oh, and then she'll go to some, never has she got it right. I like round food. Pizza, hamburger, hot dog. Think about it. all the best foods in the world are round. Am I wrong? Of course you are what you eat, so I, it did have, kind of contributed to the big guy you see in front of you here with round foods, so I don't advise that. So anyway, he goes out and he, and he challenges, he says, I'll, I'll take care of this problem. So now he's ready to go, and he, he puts down the armor, he goes over and he picks up five smooth stones, because he's got a sling. Now a lot of people think, well, he got five because he might miss. Let me tell you something. When a 10-foot guy is running downhill at you, his stride is so big, you don't have time to reload. Can I just tell you, you don't have time to reload when you're in the middle of battle. you got to be ready for battle. you got to have your ammunition. you got to be ready to go in that moment. He picks up five stones, and the reason is because Goliath had four brothers. There were five giants in that family. And then Goliath had three sons who were also giants. What's also amazing about this, not only was this guy 10 feet tall, but he had six toes on each feet and six fingers on each hand. This was an intimidating individual, to say the least. This is a guy you do not want your daughter dating. Right? Now, we're going to read more about this story, but let's... uh, Let's jump into the, into the Scripture itself. I want you to recognize, recognize the hidden truth in the battle. Every battle you're in, there's a hidden truth. If you will stop long enough, seek the mind of God, seek the wisdom of God, he will show you the hidden truth in that particular battle. But you have to stop long enough and not react. You have to think, okay, God, show me, give me a pathway through this battle that's going to enable me to really, really win the battle and become victorious. Amen? All right, now let's watch. 1 Samuel chapter 17. A champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath uh, of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I'm just going to write that number down so we don't forget it. He had a helmet of brass. He had a coat of mail. He had a coat of 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves, that's leg armor, and brass between his legs and a target, that is a javelin of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him, so there were six pieces of armor. Are you beginning to feel something's happening here? See, Goliath is a type or a picture of the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist that comes against Jesus in the battle of the great battle of the last day in a valley called the Valley of Megiddo. We know it as Armageddon. This is painting a picture for a future event. You're learning principles now that you can apply today in your life and will be seen in the days to come. We're going to show you more and more of those as we go. So Goliath had a connection with the Antichrist. This number 666 is called the Mark of the Beast, and you can find that if you want to look it up in Revelation chapter 13. 
In Revelation chapter 13, what we find is the Antichrist there suffers a wound that seems to be mortal, but he comes back to life. And after he comes back to life, he then takes charge of the entire world and imposes upon them a buying and selling system where you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast on your hand or on your forehead. It's interesting, we talked several weeks ago about the technology that's already in place uh, for that scanning system of that chip in your hand. Uh, and also talked about Google's implant for the brain to give you more search capacity without having to use a device of any kind. Those are interesting things when you begin to think about that this right here, Revelation 13, was written in 90 A.D., so almost 2,000 years ago. Uh, he was able to show us that information, just kind of saying. Also, what we find here is that one person determines your destiny, either Jesus or Satan. If I follow after evil, that's my destiny. If I follow after righteousness and Jesus, that's my destiny. In that story there, one person was going to determine the destiny of an entire nation. The victor in that battle was going to determine the, the very fate of the whole nation of Israel. And what was hanging in the battle was not just, not just men and women, boys and girls. What was hanging in the battle was the future virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the coming, the Messiah, who would die on the cross for you, rise from the dead that you might have eternal life. Everything was hanging in that battle. Do you realize the little battles you think you have today, that there is a destiny of future people resting in your very winning of that battle? You hold in your hand the destiny of human beings. People that are in your household, people that you will influence, people that you will work with, people you'll talk to, and what you say to them and how you shift their life into the kingdom, or you neglect that and you let them go away from God altogether. It's in your hand. You are in a battle for the lives of men and women, boys and girls all across the globe. It's not just about your personal happiness and freedom. It's bigger than that. When you begin to see that you are creating the image of God to do something significant with your life, everything begins to take on a greater sense of importance. Now you begin to look and say, why? You know, I don't even know my, if I'll ever meet my great, great, great grandchildren. Probably not, but I want to be able to leave a legacy now with my children, my grandchildren, that's going to perpetuate itself into kingdom values in the days ahead. Because they're going to influence people, and they're going to influence people, and those people are going to influence people for the kingdom of God. Amen? So if you're going to win, here's the truth you've got to do. You've got to stare down the giants in your life. You ever, been, you ever had a stare down? Somebody stare you down? I tell you what, I went out for wrestling. I don't know what I was thinking in high school, junior high. I didn't want to wrestle. I, I, there's something wrong with that sport. For practice, what they do is they put you in a room, they turn up the heater, and they put you in sweats, and they want you to sweat as much as you can so you can get down to your fighting weight. I worked hard to get that weight on me. <laughs> then you got to go wrestle a greasy guy. I mean, you know, come on. I want to wrestle. I want to touch him. Look at him. He's all sweaty. I always got Bob Tavato. Bob Tavato would sweat so much that his shirts would turn green under the armpits. I don't want to wrestle Bob. And then I remember the day came. Now I'm in seventh grade, eighth grade, and I'm going to wrestle the first time ever. I'm going to wrestle Wholehalter, Bruce Wholehalter. I'm not making this name. You can't make a name up like that. Bruce Wholehalter. Now I, was, I had made heavyweight by one pound. 
I was 155 pounds of pure lard. I looked over at Bruce Hallhalter. Now, we're in seventh or eighth grade. I can't remember. I think it was seventh grade. I looked over at Bruce. He looked like my dad. He had hair coming out of the top of his shirt. He looked like he had a shadow, five o'clock shadow going on. I'm looking out there, and, you know, and, and, and I got to go out and wrestle this guy. And, you know, it's bad because the stare down works like this. You sit in the order of your weight, and your opponent sit in the order of their weight, so all you're doing is staring at the guy. I'm staring at Bruce for the entire match. I'm the last one to wrestle. He's staring me down. I thought, I'm going to stare you down. I got intimidated and just put my head down. So I get out there. Here's Bruce. He was a, he was a, a massive man. Massive. He was massive. Say massive. I want you to believe me. All right. I get down there. I get in my best stance, my best wrestling stance. I run and attack him. Everything I got, all the odds were stacked against me. I grabbed him. He grabbed me, threw me down, got me in a pin position. I went up on a bridge to try to keep him from pinning me. He said, lay down or I'll break your neck. I laid down. I was pinned in 23 seconds. I don't know what he's doing, but I hope he weighs 700 pounds right now. Hope he's ugly. I just, he just totally intimidated. I got the stare down. The reason my stare down didn't work is because I didn't have any power. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any authority. I got nothing. When you stare down your enemy, it's just the opposite for you. You are Bruce Holhalter. Because you got the power of God, you got the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've got all the experience of 2,000 years of people who've gone before you, and you read about it in the Word of God, and you say, look what God has for me. So you stare down your enemies. When your enemies come, don't call your friend and go, what am I going to do? Stare your enemy down. If somebody calls you and says, I don't know what I'm going to do, I want everybody to hang up on your friend. Click. You can do this. Let's take you to the Scripture. 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what that Lord of hosts means here in a moment. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Do you notice the confidence in him? I don't think, he's not going, I think I got a shot at this. I'm going to do my best. No, he said, I will win. I'm going to win. You know, there's something happens to you when you say to yourself, I will win. There's a confidence that comes in. It's also something that happens to you when someone else looks at you and says, you can do this. You can win. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's empowering. He says, I will. Now, you know, you think, you think, Goliath was a little shaken by this? I think he was. He's saying, what has this guy got? What has he got? How dare he do this? He's got too much confidence 
There's something going on in this guy that I don't understand. When you say that to the enemy and you say, I will win this battle, I will get through this, I will be victorious, there's something about that's intimidating to the enemies in your life. And I want you to start using that in your life every day. He says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. He didn't, you know, he didn't pull any punches. I'm going to cut your head off. I'm not beating you up. I'm taking your head. Until you take the head of the enemy, the enemy is powerful over you. Your, your goal is not to beat up the enemy. Your goal is to defeat the enemy completely. This day I will give your carcass to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. That Now look at the purpose here. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why was he doing this? He was doing this so God would get the fame. God would get the glory. God would know. People would know God. See, when you go out into battle, the, it, the, the goal should never be, the purpose should never be, I'm going to have an easier life. It always should be God will be glorified. God will be honored. God's name will be lifted up. People will be drawn unto Jesus. Hey, the side benefit is you're victorious. You got through it. And every battle you face, you see, in life is going to prepare you for the next battle. The Lord of hosts. I was reading a rabbi on this, and rabbi said this. The Lord of hosts refers to all the atoms, all the molecules, the vast array of them working together, all assembled, acting toward, God, toward a purpose like an army. This includes God's angelic beings, God's army. When he said that, I just stood back and I thought, wow, God has at his power every molecule and every atom in the universe. God can rearrange and move things around on your behalf to ensure that you win a battle that you think you can't win. And when you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to see that God is going to bring angelic forces. He's going to say, how did that? You're going to say things like, how did that happen? I can't believe this. And you give God the glory. Amen. So previous victories in your life. How many of you have had at least one victory in your life? How many of you had five or more? Okay. That victory, you fought on this level. Your next battle is always on this level. This always prepares you for that. You see, if you can look back in your life and go, I've got a victory in my life, I've got more than one victory in my life, then whenever the, the battle comes and the enemy tries to engage you, you say, wait a minute, I've already won battles. This is just preparing me for the next one. And guess what? When you hit that next level, you go to the next level because you know what God's ultimately doing? He's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. You know what that means? Everything in this life right now is preparing you for what he's going to do in eternity for you. He is preparing an army here because he needs an army there. There are assignments in heaven. There are things to be done in heaven. It's not a place where it's level playing field and everybody gets the same stuff and the same responsibility. That's not it at all. That's not how God works. All you got to do is read all the parables. Read the parable of the talents. You understand the heart, of, the heart of God is to take you and get you ready. And if you're given much, he's going to expect much. And when he gives you much, he's going to expect more. He's going to keep taking a new level because he says, I'm looking for some people who are going to be in some key positions in eternity. Will it be you? If it's not you, it'll be somebody else. You get to decide how that's going to look down, down the road. Now, Previous victories have prepared you, but five stones for four ugly brothers. you got to remember that. 
David got five stones because he knew Goliath had four ugly brothers. You see, David was smart enough to know the battle doesn't end here. The battle continues, and it continues, and it continues. And you'll say a hundred times in those battles, I don't know if I can take any more. And God goes, sure you can. Oh, yeah. You're just warming up. How many of you threw up your hands years ago and said, I don't know if I can get through this one? Well, here you are. Here you are. I'm still here. Hey, just say it. I'm still here. You checked me off the list. I'm still here. You thought I couldn't win. I'm still here. You thought there was no hope. I'm still here. Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked falls in the day of of disparity. You can move forward. You will move forward in the power of Almighty God. Let me give you this last thought. Yeah, put your hands together. Give God the glory for that. Amen. Honor God with uncommon faith. The uncommon kind of faith is the faith that scares you. That's when you know you got faith. Uncommon. Doesn't make any sense. Samuel 17, 48 and 49. All right. Philistine ran, and, he, and look what it says. And the Philistine arose, and he came, and he drew near to David. And David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He couldn't wait to face Goliath. He didn't say, hey, come on. Step across that line, big giant. He ran. Those little legs looked like a dachshund going down the hill. Here come the big stride. Bam. Flat. On his back. To his face. Knocked out. Look what it says here. David put in his hand the bag, took out a stone. He slung it. He's running. He slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. Ha. A stone sank into his forehead. He fell to his face to the earth, but he's not dead yet. He's not dead until David goes over. He takes the sword of Goliath out of the sheath, and he cuts his head off. Your enemy's not defeated till you cut his head off. Quit dialoguing with the enemy. Quit dialoguing with your problems. Heads without bodies don't talk. They don't talk back. They don't talk. I saw this little drawing of David, and here's little David, and he's carrying Goliath's head. And glass heads like as big as him. I guess it would be, right? I mean, I thought I had a big Shrek head, but that Goliath had to have a big head, right? This big head he's carrying around. He goes back to the camp. Is anybody in doubt that I won? All right, I'm going to give you two final thoughts. I'm going to give you a word that God gave me today. And in the first service, everybody said it was for them. I don't know who it's for. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Accept the challenge ordained by God. It's a challenge. Accept the challenge that has been ordained by God for you. And secondly, position yourself for a miracle, not for an escape. We don't need Houdinis, escape artists, trying to get out of their kingdom assignment. We need warriors for the kingdom of God. Amen? Before I got up to preach, I, I, I just really f- had this word, and uh, I don't know if it's for you, if it's somebody in the first service, but I want to give it to you, that uh, you came here today, and you're ready to just check out. You're ready just to give up. 
you didn't know if there was any future for you. You wondered if God was really God, if God's word was true, and whether you could trust his promises. And almost inside, you almost said, this is probably the last. This is the last time I'm going to do this. This is the last time. But today, something shifted in your heart. You began to get a new set of eyes. You began to get a new future in your mind. You began to see that the battle, the, vic- the battle you're in right now was already decided 2,000 years ago. And today, you're taking your battle, victory, and you're embracing it, and you're moving forward. And you've got a new sense of hope, a new sense of power, and a new sense of joy. And mark this day down well if this is you. Mark this day down well because you will need it. Because somewhere down the road you're going to face another battle and you're going to wonder, but you're going to go back to this day. This day on March 17th, you're going to say it was there that I knew that my victory was already 2,000 years old. And I'm going to walk in that. Amen? Let's stand together. You know, sometimes uh, before service, I'll just uh, talk to some of you, pray with some of you, and uh, I'll get a feeling that I'll learn more about you and some of the battles you're in. You know, sometimes you come to church and you've got some heaviness on your heart. You got some, but you don't want to show that. You don't want to put on that face. You put on a good game face, and you just uh, try to grin and get through it. I know that's the case right? We, we do that. But I want you to know you don't have to do that. That there are people, you're surrounded by people who, who are feeling the same thing you're feeling from week to week. Your challenge today is their challenge yesterday. And I just feel like there's, there's two really things that are really heavy on my heart, and I really want to just pray. I'm going to ask you to come forward in just a moment, but listen carefully. I, I really believe that, that there's some people here that are, that are pretty discouraged and hurt, and uh, you don't know where to go. And you just need somebody to put their hand on you and pray for you. Just put their hand on their shoulder and just pray for you to have power and strength. There's something in that human touch that's powerful. And then I also believe there's some, some people here that just say, you know, I really need healing in my life or the life of my loved one. And uh, I just want to pray for the, for the healing, uh, the emotional healing and for the physical healing today. So uh, I'm going to ask you just to come. If you would like to come or you have someone you want to pray for, just come up front and we're going we're gonna to have a prayer here at the front for everyone. And just come quickly. Don't, uh, don't wait long because this is, these are powerful moments. I always wonder sometimes when I feel impressed to pray for someone or someone asked to pray for me, what would happen if I don't do that? Why do, I, why do I hold back on anything when God's moving my heart? Amen? Why would I ever hold back? I want to see God do, some, do the unbelievable. And there's, in the Bible it says that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. You know what he told us right there? He said that you can pray by yourself, but when you pray together with someone else, your prayers are supercharged. There's something that takes on a new dimension, a new level when you do that. Amen. So just kind of squeeze in right in here, guys. Just come on up front and make room for everybody. Your pain's going to go away. The challenges you're facing, I don't even know what they are. I don't even know your name, sister. I just feel like that God told me to just tell you your pain's going to go away. Just, just release it to him on the altar.
Don't let doubt enter into your heart. Be courageous. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of His might. God has given you His kingdom. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I pray right now, Father, that heaven is opened and there's a blanket of healing that comes upon everyone here today, God. It's like an electric blanket. I got this picture of an electric blanket where the, it just fell on you and it just warmed every part of your body because you knew it was God getting your attention, God wrapping his arms of love around you. Right now, he just wants to set you free of that pain, of that difficulty, those emotional challenges you're facing, whether it's at school or at work or at home. Just give it to him right now. Just give it to him completely. Just release. Release it in Jesus' name. Physical healing. You say, I, Pastor, either myself or someone in my family needs healing. I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, be healed. All the healing that you need is in the atonement of Christ. But it is by his stripes that we are healed. It is by the power of the resurrected Lord that we find new life and healing in Jesus' name. And I just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Sickness, go away. And as it goes away, as the words that Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. Determined to make righteousness a part of your life. That whatever sin has corrupted, let righteousness cleanse. And give God the glory in Jesus' name. I just want to impart to you today a powerful, powerful anointing of His Spirit that you're going to be courageous, you're going to be giant killers, you're going to stare down the problems, the giants, the enemies of your life, that you might prove, prove that perfect and acceptable will of God as you walk in the fullness of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's just sing together now as we sing. Let this be a declaration of what God has done. Really sing it out. Sing it out.
Think about this. The goodness of the Father is all you need. God is good. And the goodness of the Father is all you need. And when you see, when you just embrace the goodness of the Father, what would a father, would a father ever want his children to be defeated, discouraged, sick and broken? No. A good father always wants the best. The goodness of the Father is the key. Amen? All right? Amen? I love you, brother. I like you. You got, I see something in your eyes. There's a little shadow in your eyes, and God wants to bring the, the, the brightness in your heart to your eyes. Just release Jesus in your life, brother. What's your name? What is it? Isaiah. You got a good name, man. You know, what do you do with that name, right? You got to be a prophet. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, I lift up Isaiah to you right now. I just pray, God, that, that there's a full release of the glory that's in his heart that comes through his eyes and his life. And that, God, you use him as a prophet, a prophet to people, to speak about the truth of God, the power of God, the anointing of God. And I just ask right now for an anointing to come on Isaiah that will give him that, that just spiritual aptitude and attitude for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right, as you go today, a couple of things before you run out. If you're going to Peru with us, about 60 of you are going on our crusade. Uh, we have a meeting, a brief meeting right after. Please stay. Um, and if you're not staying for the Peru meeting, we would certainly invite you to go to the prayer wall, uh, to the lobby, and uh, and just have your conversation out there so we can have our meeting. Did I Was that nice enough? All right, we love you guys. Hey, we'll see you next week. Bring some with you. God bless.